Good morning, church. Again, welcome. For those of you that are uh, just tuning in, my name is Josue. And as I said earlier, I have the privilege of serving as uh, one of the elders uh, here at the Grove Church. And uh, it's my uh, privilege to welcome you this morning as we continue in our Easter tide. As we uh, arrive today to Ascension Sunday, ultimately the day that we remember our Lord and Savior be taken up into heaven to the right hand of the Father and promise the Comforter, promise the Spirit to His people. And that is where we are in today in this season of Easter Tide. And you see, today is a very important day in the life of the church. Today is the day where Jesus gives his last words and like anyone we know, or maybe you've had this experience where you are with someone and they give you their last words, they're very meaningful and very impactful. And today we will find purpose in the things that Jesus said to his people on those last days. Now, we'll see that the ascension wasn't just impactful for the people of the, or the apostles and disciples of that time, but it's actually, they are impactful for you and for me today. And we see that the ascension would mark the termination of Jesus' visible ministry on earth, but it would also mark the beginning of his invisible ministry on earth. And so when we read the book of Acts, it's titled the Acts of the Apostles. And, and some say the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles, rightfully so, because this book is a book of all the things that Jesus did through those that believed in him. And so we find ourselves here today. Now, this week I heard a story of the zoo that... Uh, had a gorilla who passed away. And so they needed to replace the gorilla. They wanted to keep the exhibit open and uh, they didn't know how they were going to do this. And so they said, you know what, while we figure out how to get a gorilla here, what we'll do is we'll have one of our guys dress up in a gorilla suit. So they had one of their employees dress up in a gorilla suit and you know, he's jumping around making gorilla noises and it's working out fairly well for them. And so they think, you know what, this is a pretty low cost. I think we'll just keep this guy as our gorilla for the exhibit. And so anyways, a couple weeks pass and the guy goes into the wrong cage and it's the lion cage. And all of a sudden he walks in and out of the corner of his eye, he sees a lion that starts to growl and starts to walk toward him. And he thinks, oh no, this lion's about to try to eat me or fight with me because he thinks I'm a gorilla. So he says, maybe if he sees that I'm a human, he will not try to hurt me. So he, he's trying to undo his zipper on one side, the other side, they're both stuck. And by the time he's, he's trying to get this done, the lion's close to him and in front of his face. And he says, well, maybe the, the lion will understand me. And he says, lion, please, please don't eat me. I'm just a human inside this gorilla suit. And the lion responded to him, be quiet, man, or we'll both lose our job. Womp womp. I know, dad joke. I've been hanging out with my brothers who are dads a little bit too much. But what's the moral of the story? Is that maybe you and I as Christians have been walking around with what we feel is like this gorilla or this lion, this very mighty suit, and that's what we present. But on the inside, we feel like these very weak men and women who are barely making it, who are barely surviving. And we don't understand how we read Acts 1-8, you will receive power, and yet we feel powerless at times. And that is why I think today's message is so important for us because we will discover what this power is for you and for me so that we don't have to walk around with suits, but instead that we would be uh, reminded that God intended for you and for me in our weakness, in our frailty, in our humanity to be used for his purposes. You see, the Acts of the Apostles is a book that continues on in you and in me. And we have been empowered by the Spirit to continue these acts. 
And so I've titled today's sermon, I've Got the Power. And if you know anything about 90s hip hop, you probably went back to the song, dun, 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 I've got the power, right? And you immediately know why I am not a rapper or a singer, and that's okay. And maybe your application this week is to look up that song. You see, it's got a very catchy hook. And, and my hope is that as, as you remember that, that that would be something that maybe you do sing to yourself. And that as you sing that to yourself or say that to yourself, that you would ultimately be reminded of what we will discover today. And that is this, that the power that you and I have is quite simply the love of Christ in you and me. And that is what changes everything. And so let's get started. Luke starts off this book by the way some of us watch a Netflix series, episode two, previously on the days of our Lord, right? And he says, oh, Theophilus, in the first book, I wrote to you about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach the apostles through the Spirit. And, he, and I wrote about these things up until the day when he was taken up and he presented himself to them alive with many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, Luke is writing the second book of a two-part series. The Gospel of Luke was the first one. This is the second one. And he is writing in this first chapter about everything Jesus began to do, meaning it is not finished. This is the start of his work. You see, the crucifixion was a part of the story. The resurrection was a big part of the story. But the continuation of the story doesn't end on resurrection day no it continues on to today to you and me and so he says these are the things that jesus began to do and luke is trying to establish the centrality of jesus in the story you see what we find in the book of acts is not how is a person saved we do not find the romans road in the book of acts what we find is who saves us and who it is that wants to be in a relationship with us and so he says i taught uh, jesus taught about the kingdom of god and that's such a big topic that we cannot uh, get into today but ultimately it is the realm where what god wants done gets done and so for 40 days, we get a snapshot of Jesus teaching his apostles and disciples about the kingdom of God. And it says in verse 4, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father by telling them, John baptized in water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And what we find here is uh, Jesus eating with his disciples, and he gives them an order to wait for the promise. And this is where we find the first part of this beautiful story that Jesus knows he's about to ascend. His disciples don't know what's about to happen. And he says, hey, I've already taught you about this. I'm reminding you that there is a promise. And we get this beautiful glimpse of the triune God that we serve. You see, there is a promise from the Father being spoken by the Son about the Spirit. And in that we discover our identity, in that we discover that we are sons and daughters of the Father, that we are called to be servants the way Jesus served us, and that we will be propelled out as missionaries through the Spirit. And so he gives us a little glimpse of this in this verse. And so he says that they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And I'm amazed at the question, but also not surprised by it because he's teaching for 40 days about the kingdom of God. 
And his apostles and disciples say, Lord, is this the time you will restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, they, the same way that we're expecting him to overthrow the government, now as the resurrected king, as the resurrected powerful Jesus, they're ex still expecting that because they hear that they will receive power from the spirit. And so they're thinking, okay, it's time to overthrow the government. It's time to overthrow the kingdom, to overthrow this Roman empire. And Jesus very gently and very beautifully doesn't say, Oh, silly guys, you still don't get it. I've been teaching you for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Instead, he says, hey, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has established. It is not for you to know that. And I love this part of the story because that is you and me coming before God, right? Asking these very deep questions. And we come to God asking questions with a very finite understanding and he answers with a very eternal wisdom we come to him with very immediate needs and he gives us a very eternal perspective answer and he gives us exactly what we need and so he doesn't rebuke them he addresses their questions say hey that's not for you to know and that's okay he says wait i have something better for you and so we enter into the main text of today's message, and that is verse 8. You see, if you highlight in your Bible, this is the verse that you want to highlight. This is the theme of the book of Acts. This is what changes everything for you and for me and for the life of the church and for the ministry of Jesus. And he says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the first thing we find on Ascension Sunday is that what we receive is the promise of power and presence. First thing we find is the promise of power and presence. He says, you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. You see, this is not a question, will you receive power when the Spirit has come upon you? Nor is it a command, you better uh, receive power, nor is it a suggestion. It is a gift from God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, we have to deconstruct this idea of power just a little bit because I feel like we, in our finite human understanding, think of power as this brute strength to do amazing things with, right? Like, we want to do the miraculous, not bad things, but we think of ourselves like, like being like Iron Man and having the arc reactor in our chest, and we're shooting out power gospel bombs to people, and they're coming to Christ because we're full of this, this ghostly power. That's not what he's talking about here. See, he's not talking about being filled with brute strength or amazing ability to do crazy things. The power he's talking about is something different. And what I've learned over time in my walk with Christ is that I am at the mercy of what fills me. And let me say that to you. You are at the mercy of what fills you. And if what fills you is work, you will be at the mercy of work. You will always work endlessly and tirelessly towards the next thing at work. If what fills you is being a good dad or a good mom, you will always work toward that and never find satisfaction in that because it's an endless cycle of being controlled and being at the mercy of being a good dad or a good mom or a good husband or a good wife. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's fear that fills you and it's controlling you. Maybe it's anger. Whatever it is that's filling you, you are at the mercy of that. And at times, I think we try to reach into ourselves for the source of power and what we find are these things that will always let us down in the face of adversity, in the face of doing things for God. We will always come short because we are reaching into our own reserves of our own idea of concept of, and concept of power. But instead, God has something better for us. 
And so what is this something better? What is this better power that God has promised you and me? You see, the source of this power is quite simple. It is love. It is the love of God for us. It is the love that was exemplified to Adam and Eve in the garden when God made uh, coverings for them. It is the love of the promise of a savior since Genesis 3. It is the love that brought God from heaven to earth. It is the love that kept him on the cross. It is the love that resurrected him. It is the love that made him a sin so that we would receive the promise of the spirit. It is love at the core of our power. That is the beautiful source of our power. And so Jesus says, you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And that's the beautiful promise that we have of being centered in his love and that the Spirit would come upon us. Now, next week we'll discover Pentecost. And so I'm not trying to address speaking in tongues or second baptism, but being clothed in the Spirit. You see, what he is promising us is that we would experience his love and that he would be present in us. You see, this is what he's, why he told them, stay in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the temple was at. And if we know in the old, anything about the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple, the Holy of Holies. Only the priest could enter. But during crucifixion, the, tell, the, the, the veil was torn, and all of a sudden we had direct access to God. And Jesus says, this temple you'll destroy, but in three days I will rebuild it. And beyond that, then he says, the spirit will live in you and I will live in you and you will be temples of God. You see, you and I are the place of worship. You and I become the place of worship through this promise. And so he says, I am with you. I am with you. And maybe today that's the simple reminder you need to have is that God is with you through this time and through this season where maybe it feels like he is not. Now, I came across this very beautiful quote that I just, I want to read to you. And it's from Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Unspeakable Joy. And maybe you've heard it before, but every time I read this, it gets me. And, and he says that, that being clothed by the Spirit, it's like this. It's like you as the child of God are walking with God down the street, hand in hand. And out of nowhere, God grabs you and picks you up and brings you close and hugs you and kisses your neck. And he says, I love you so much. And then pulls you out and then looks you eye to eye and says, I am so glad you are mine. And brings you back in and hugs you and reminds you, I love you so much and puts you back down. And this is what he continues to say in that story. A pleasant and happy walk with God is swept up into an unspeakable new level of joy and love and assurance and reality that leaves the Christian so utterly certain of the immediate reality of Jesus that he is overflowing in praise and more free and bold in witness than he ever imagined he could be. This child is simply stunned. He doesn't know whether to cry or shout or fall down or run. He is so happy. The fuses of love are so overloaded, they almost blow out. The subconscious doubts that he wasn't thinking about at the time, but that pop up every now and then are gone. And in their place is utter and indestructible assurance so that they know that they know that they know that God is real and that Jesus lives and that you are loved and that to be saved is the greatest thing in the world. And as you walk down the street, you can scarcely contain yourself. And you want to cry out, my father loves me. My father loves me. Oh, what a great father. What a father. What a father. And every time I read this, it gets me. 
because this is the love God has for you and for me. This is the source of our witness, is the love that God has for you and for me. That for a boy that grew up in church, following all the rules, and at one point in his life broke all the rules, he would love me so much that he would still bring me back to him. That maybe you were the person that grew up following all the rules and had to come to the realization that you, just as much as the person who broke all the rules, needed the love of God. Or maybe it is you who always broke the rules. And somewhere along your journey, God came to you and startled you with his love. And it changed the rest of your life forever. And my brother and my sister, this is the beauty of the power that you and I have. It is the love of God. That he would startle us with his love. That we would have these moments with him that transform us. It is this love that resurrects us. It is this love that matures us. It is this love that changes us to continue to live for him day in and day out. And maybe today you feel like, I don't know that I've ever had that experience with God. My brother and my sister, pray for it. Ask for it because he has it for you. See, this is the promise he's given, that he would love us this way. And maybe today you just needed to be reminded that he loves you this way. Maybe you just needed to be reminded that you have had these moments where your, your fuses of love are so overloaded that they're about to blow out. Or maybe today you've never experienced this kind of love. And it's so curious and peculiar to you that someone could love you this way, not out of your merit or something you've done, but out of that person's great and infinite love for you. That is the God that we serve. And that is the God that sustains us. You see, what we realize even out of the proofs that Jesus gave of his life in those 40 days is that miracles and blessings cannot sustain our soul. Only Jesus can. And that is the reason why miracles and blessings are good. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm not saying they're not important, but they don't sustain our soul. Only the love of Christ in us is what sustains us. And so my hope and my prayer is that you and I would be people that are daily walking with God and experiencing being startled, having our fuses blow out. For you see, when that happens, we find the next part of this verse come to life and you will be my witnesses. You see, we don't just have the promise of power and presence. In the ascension, we also find that you and I are purposed as missionaries. He says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say, uh, hopefully you'll be my witnesses or try to be my witnesses. He says, out of this love, you see the word for power here is dynamite. It's from where we get our word dynamite from, dynamos. And that our, his love for us would be so great that it would blow out of us. That we could not contain that. That is what it means to be a witness. And if you've done any kind of Bible study methods, you know the word for witness here is the, the Greek word mar, that we get martyr from. And no, none of us grow up thinking, I, you know, I really want to be a martyr when I grow up. I really just want to die for something I believe in. But those who do die for their faith, it is because they believe it is something greater, something more valuable than their own life. Something has radically changed them that they are willing to lay down their life for this cause. And that is true of the apostles and of the disciples that heard this message from Jesus. They would all go and die as martyrs for the faith because they had experienced this love. And so he says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you'll have great success when you receive this power. You'll be great uh, moguls. You'll be great uh, entrepreneurs. You'll be great uh, husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and, and fill in the blanks. He says, you'll be my witnesses. 
And it's amazing because the call is not to be a great preacher. It's not to be a great theologian. It's not to be a great apologist. It's, it's none of those things. Those things are good because they drive us to a deeper love of God. But when they don't, they become the source of a power that is finite and it does not do anything for the mission of God. Instead, it is the love of God that moves us to be witnesses, to blow the fuses out of ourselves so that others might see. And how do we do this? It is quite simple. We simply tell of the love that God has given us. We simply tell of the experience that we have had with God. And as we dig deeper into scripture, we learn more about him. We experience deeper levels of him. And our call is simply to go out and tell of the stories. There was this Chinese man in a small village who had had cataracts all his life and had never been able to see. And a missionary doctor went to this village this man was at and operated this man and took the cataracts out and when he was done the man could see and he was so happy and excited and he left a couple of days later the missionary doctor is sitting in the front of his house and he's looking out and he sees this man come back with the crowd of blind people and he says this is the man that healed my vision this is the man that gave me vision you see, this man didn't know the intricacies of all the medical procedures that took out his cataracts. He, all he knew was he couldn't see. At one point, this man came into his life. Now he could see. And he went and told all the blind people, this man can heal you. It is quite that simple for you and for me. We're simply called to tell of what God has done for us. And maybe we've forgotten. Maybe we've gotten too consumed with life. Maybe we've gotten too consumed with the ins and outs of our daily living and God is reminding us that our greatest call as disciples is that we would witness to his love. And so maybe you've let that go or maybe you've tried to witness and, and you've studied methods to share the gospel. All great things, they shape and form us. But at its very basic level, all we're called to do is to share about what God has done in our lives, the great love we have of him. And this is the beautiful part is that we complete God's mission when we do that. You see, in John 14, he told his disciples that greater things would we do than those he did. And, and we immediately think of the miracles, right? But I have yet to see any of us walk on water. I have yet to see any of us feed 5,000 people from, you know, a banana and a bread from Starbucks. None of us have done that, right? Not bad things. We can pray for it. If the moment arises and God leads you to do that, you better obey. But it wasn't about those miracles. What if the greater things we would do would be to serve? What if the greater things that we would do is to love? What if the greater things we would do is to die to self so that others, others may come to know Christ? That is something that we are called to do. That is the greater purpose that we are called to, to share the good news of Jesus and his love to others. And so we find that we are promised power and presence that you and I, our purpose as missionaries is not an option. It is not uh, when I can. It is our core identity. Out of the core love that we receive, our identity is shaped and our action happens. And that's the last part of this verse. We're propelled outward to reach everyone. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jerusalem was, was home, was the greatest place of failure and fear for the disciples. When Jesus was in the tomb, they were hiding. When Jesus was about to be crucified, they denied him. And isn't that true for you and for me? That at times, the greatest place of our failure is at home. And yet Jesus knew that. 
And he said, hey, you will be my witnesses first in your home. You see, as the love of God transforms you, it will cause you to continually come to him to repent and believe in the gospel so that you may witness to your wife, you may witness to your husband, you may witness to your kids of the love of Christ. What are you witnessing at home? What is your family seeing at home? Is it the love of Christ in you or is it you being filled by many other things? My prayer is that we would be a people that are full of this love and that this love will continually bring us to a faithful witness of God to our spouses, to our families, to our household. Because it's not easy, especially when we don't want to, especially when we feel righteous in what we are doing. The love of Christ compels us to die to self so that those around us that don't yet know that love or need to experience that love would experience the love of Christ beyond your comfort. And so he says, you will be my witnesses in your home in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. These were the, the half-breeds, the, the people they did not like, the people they avoided. And we're called to the people that, that we don't particularly like, that don't particularly look like us. And if you have people in your mind right now of who that is, those are the people you are also called to serve and to the ends of the earth. And this is the beautiful reminder of God to us today is that you are purposed as missionaries starting off in your home and you're propelled outward. The same way the, the wind blows east and west, north and south, we're propelled just to all the places starting with ourselves and our homes. And finally, verses 9 through 10, we find that the ascension points us to Jesus. And when he has said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, I fear that at times we're like the men of Galilee, right? We're standing there just looking. We're passive observers. We're waiting to see God do something miraculous. And he said, I've already promised you the power. I've already clothed you with the spirit. Your job is to go out and to use this to continue my mission. So why are you standing just looking? No, we're called to be active participants in the mission of God. And that is such a humbling reality for the disciple that he would choose you and me, broken vessels, to restore, to redeem so that we would go on to the world and do the same. And we have the beautiful comfort and hope that he will return and he will make all things new. But in the time from now to then, he is using you, he is using me to do that. So maybe today's gentle reminder to you is that we need to stop being passive. We need to be more active in our faith. We need to take this love and let it flow out of us to love our families, to love our neighbors, to love our networks, to love the nations to love all those around us and share the good news. You see, deeds and actions are important, but words are also vital when sharing the gospel. We cannot share the gospel. We cannot be witnesses without actually opening our mouths and sharing about what God has done for us. It's simply testifying to the truths you already know based on your relationship with Christ. And so as we end today, I just want to say I am so grateful for you for the church. I am so grateful that God, in his great mercy, would choose us, broken vessels, and fill us with his love and change us day in and day out to witness to the greater prize that we could ever have, and that is Jesus. 
And maybe today you just needed to be reminded that there is a promise of power and presence, that you are not alone in this season and in this time, that God is with you, that Emmanuel is real, God with us, that through the Spirit, He lives in you and He lives in me, and He brings His love to us. Maybe you just need to be reminded that you have been purposed as a missionary, not to be on the sidelines, but to be an active participant, an active participant of God's mission. Maybe you just need to be reminded that you're propelled outward, that yes, you start at home, but you don't forget about your neighbors or your networks or their nations. Or maybe you simply just need to be reminded that all of our life is intended to point to Jesus. That is the greatest thing we could ever offer of ourselves is pointing to Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that we would be a church that constantly reaches into the deepest parts of our source of power, Christ's love, to live in light of that power, to continue the mission of God in this place we call home.